0: We're all familiar with the famous story in the Talmud of the prospective Ger, convert to Judaism, who approaches Hillel the sage, and he says to him, "Teach me the whole Torah on one foot." And what does Hillel say? Famously, he shows him the verse in last week's parsha, "V'ahavta l'recha kamocha, ani Hashem." Love your neighbor as yourself. I am God. Whatever you don't want done to you, don't do to others. That's the famous story. Now, I never understood this because, first of all, is there one phrase that can tell you, you know, everything about Judaism? And really, what was this prospective convert doing? You know, uh, the part of the story I left out was Shammai. He went to Shammai first and Shammai kicked him out and said, I don't have time for these games. Show me, uh, you know, teach me the whole Torah on one foot. Like, what does that even mean? So what's going on with this story? Very, very important story. And the Kliyakar, one of the great commentaries, explains that this ger, this prospective convert, was a ger tzedek, was a righteous individual. He wasn't trying to make light by asking Hillel, teach me the whole Torah on one foot. What he was really asking for, according to the Kliyakar, was one organizing principle of Judaism. Because he understood that if he were to convert to Judaism, he wasn't raised with this in his youth. He would need something to be able to turn back to that would help him keep the rest of Torah Judaism? What's that one kernel of truth I need to stay focused on? To that, Hillel showed him the verse, Love thy neighbor as thyself, I am God. But Hillel, says the Kliakar, read to the convert the verse as one. Didn't just say, Love thy neighbor as thyself. He said, Love thy neighbor as thyself, Ami Hashem, I am God. Now why does God's name have to be in there at the end? This is the middle of the book of Leviticus, chapter 19. We already know who God is. We've already received the Ten Commandments. We've been well acquainted with this God. What does God have to do with love thy neighbor as thyself? And that is why, says the Kliakar, because there are two parts of our Judaism. There's our relationship with God, and there's our relationship with our fellow human being. And the Kliakar, this great commentator, explains this is why the Kruvim. The angelic cherubs that sat on these figures that sat on the Ark of the Covenant had wings that extended upward towards the heavens, but they also faced each other, representing the two different aspects of our relationship in Judaism, one to God vertically and one to each other horizontally. And that's why our sages teach there were two lochot. There were two tablets upon which the Ten Commandments were written. I'm sure God could have figured out to give Moses all ten on one. But God gave Moses the tablets, five on each, to understand because the first five commandments of the Ten Commandments pertain to our relationship with God, and then the next five to our relationship with our fellow human being. Number five, by the way, the last one on the first tablet is the bridge. Kabeda tavicha honor your father and your mother. right? Because our parents are our first line of authority, representing ultimately God the ultimate authority in our lives, but the first and then the second. And we may sometimes take one more seriously than the other. right? We we live in a society that values treating our fellow human being fairly and kindly, so we might take more seriously the second set of tablets than the first, but both are essential to being Jewish, which is why the verse right before the Ten Commandments are recorded in the Torah, in Parshat Yitro, the Torah introduces them with the phrase "VaYadaber Elokim et Kol Hadvarim leMor," and God spoke all of these words, saying. Rashi points out the superfluous word "all," and God spoke all of these words. Of course, all of these words. What do you mean? Just some of them? No, all of them. Why? To teach us that God spoke all ten commandments in one utterance, something which is impossible for me and you to be able to do. And why does He do that? So we don't pick and choose. So we don't make the mistake of saying, well, God, of course, takes the mitzvah of giving charity more important than the mitzvah of, let's say, observing the Sabbath. We don't really know because God uttered them all simultaneously. Rabbi Salvechik said, "Is to teach us that faith, represented by the first five, and morality, represented by the latter five, are intricately one and inseparable. And that's precisely because we believe. What is the source for the way we treat each other? Why should we be kind to other people? Why should we give charity and not not speak ill of others? What is it about other people that makes us all worthy of special care and consideration? And that is of course what unites us all. And that is God being created in Hashem's image not only unites us, but it's ultimately what makes us worthy of each other's respect and consideration. See, if we lose the Ani Hashem, if we lose the I am God, then we're left to our subjective feelings. I like this guy but not that guy because I like his opinion, I don't like his opinion. But I'm able to actually have a conversation with someone with whom I vehemently disagree and I can still respect that person. Why? Not just because it's a it's his or her opinion, it's because it's becoming from a creation of God. Another individual who's created in the image of God just like I am. That's what ultimately demands that we treat each other respectfully and properly, even if we are on the opposite sides of the aisle on whatever issue we're discussing. And this is an incredibly relevant and important point today. We have lost the ability to truly be friends and exchange information and learn from other people who are different than us. We keep surrounding ourselves in these little echo chambers where all we hear are other opinions that, you know, are essentially the same as our own. But we can't talk to other people because we've lost complete respect for them. Because all we're doing is judging them based on what they're saying. We're not judging them. We're not evaluating them for the inherent value and worth that they have. The founding fathers of this great country understood that we were all invested with certain inalienable rights. Where do those rights come from? They come from a higher place. They were deists. They believed in God and they understood the value of a human being and they set up a country, a republic, with different parties understanding that we could still respect and value each other even if we disagree because there is something that's more fundamental than our differing opinions and that is us being created in Hashem's image. And I want to leave you with one last idea which I think can truly be helpful in Continuing to hear the other. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am God. Now, is it really possible to love another person, even just a fellow Jew, as much as you love yourself? Well, most of the rabbis don't believe that it should be read literally. The Ibn Ezra, for example, great Sephardic commentator, teaches that it means that there should be no difference between what man wants for himself and the good that he wishes for his friend, because, again, we're all created in God's image. But it doesn't mean I have to actually love another person as much as I love myself. That's impossible. Ramban Nachmani says it means that you should not allow envy, you should not allow yourself to envy another for their good fortune, because envy and jealousy ultimately result in hatred. It's not like you have to really love another person as much as yourself. The Radvaz compares the entire Jewish community to the body of a single person. And he says, just like you would never think of deliberately injuring yourself or purposely neglecting a part of your body, right? In the same way we each have to seek the welfare of each other. But again, not literal. Maimonides the Rambam writes that you're supposed to love your fellow Jew and their property. Treat them in the same way that you would, yourself would want to be treated. He reads the Torah literally in this regard. Question is how? <laughs> how can you do this? And the answer again is at the end of the verse. Just like Hillel, the sage, when he read that line in the Parsha to the convert, he didn't just say, love thy neighbor. He said, love thy neighbor, I am God. Right? And that, I think, is the answer. I heard this years ago from one of my teachers, Rabbi Richard Mann. When the Torah says, love your neighbor as yourself, what aspect of yourself are you supposed to love? such that it can now help you to love others? Is it the way you look? Is it how much money you make? Is it your political opinion? Because if that's what you love about yourself, then you're only going to be friends, and you're only going to talk to people who are similar to you, who share the similar outlook that you have on life. But if the part of yourself that you've come to love is not the physical, it's the Ani Hashem, it's the godly aspect of who we are, then what, is gonna stop me from loving other people, even if I'm radically different than them, because they too possess the image of God. If we can cultivate the neshama, the soul within ourselves, and we could truly love the highest part of who we are, then there should be nothing to stop us from loving other people, even people with whom we disagree, because they too are created in the image of Hashem. And that is my blessing in these kinds of strange times that we have is not just to, sort of like a band-aid, just get out of yourself and listen to other people. No, it has to go deeper. Start loving the part of yourself that's godly, and you'll be able to hear opinions from other people, because you'll be focusing not only on what they're saying and the content of their words, but the fact that they are reflecting themselves the image of God. Thank you for listening.